1: Hello and welcome to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast, I'm Adam. Sorry that I'm a day late. I've got some podcasting advice though for anybody out there. Dropping your microphone isn't a great idea, but the new one's arrived so we're good to go. The episode today is from true crime enthusiast country, North Wales, and it's a very strange affair which left one man dead and many questions unanswered. I've got some really big news this week, as the first book released by my new crime book publishing company has gone to pre-order, ahead of release in the early summer. The new Millennium serial killer, written by Chris Clark, an ex-police intelligence officer, and Bethan Truman, co-host at the Excellent Seeing Red podcast, reveals shocking new research suggesting that Christopher Halliwell is responsible for many other crimes. Pre-order your copy of this new book today and get 40% off the cover price. Just head to crimepublishingnetwork.com, that's all one word, crimepublishingnetwork.com to secure your copy. And of course, if you're an established author looking for a great deal, or an aspiring author looking for help publishing your first true crime or crime fiction book, then please contact me there. That is crimepublishingnetwork.com. As always, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, but especially their new members of this exclusive club. That is Laura McArdle, Jason Harl, and Chris Davis. Thank you so much for your support, which is much appreciated. And if you haven't joined us yet, just head to patreon.com slash crime in time to watch the live recording of Monday's show. That's Monday next week, 7 o'clock. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and UK True Crime podcast listeners get 10% off their first month. That's betterhelp.com slash crime. Visit betterhelp.com slash crime. that's better H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Is there something interfering with your happiness, or that's preventing you from achieving your goals? I've had a pretty tough year, like so many of us. I never feel I'm putting enough effort into my work or my family and seem to think I'm not doing enough with either. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. And let's be absolutely clear that it's not a crisis line, it's not self-help, it's professional counselling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas, and the service is there for clients worldwide. You can start within 48 hours, and there's none of that discomfort of sitting in waiting rooms like you have to do with offline counselling. So, get started today. What are you waiting for? You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counsellor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And remember that as a listener to this podcast, to get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, just go to betterhelp.com dot com slash true crime. Let's get straight on with setting some context with today's story and our guest the month and year game. Lewis Capaldi topped the UK charts with Someone You Loved. In the US it was Little Naz with Old Time Boy and in the Australian album charts number one was Billie Eilish with When We Fall Asleep Where Do We Go. In the news this month US online sales overtook retail sales for the first time. Rwanda marked 25 years and the beginning of 100 days of mourning since the genocide that killed 800,000 people. Shine retiring former UKIP party leader Nigel Farage launched a Brexit party. The first home delivery service by drone began in Canberra, Australia by Wing, part of Google's Alphabet company. And the body of a 38-year-old Filipino woman was discovered in an abandoned mine and started the hunt for Cyprus's first serial killer. Did you get the month and year? It was April 2019. This month the story comes from Anglesey, an island to the northwest of Wales, linked to the mainland by the Menai Bridge. And if, like me, you've sailed in the area, well, you'll know that the tides around here are very strong and pretty scary. The only places I've actually seen whirlpools, which was pretty terrifying. In our story today, retired college photography and video lecturer 74 year old Gerald Corrigan, or Jerry as he was known, lived at a place called Goth Do, which was situated in about 30 acres on the northwest of Anglesey near South Stack and close to the coastal path. It was a nice house with outbuildings in a remote and very pretty part of the island. Jerry had lived there for about 20 years as it was a lovely spot by the sea near a major nature reserve, and Jerry enjoyed nature especially photographing flowers and mountains, so it was a perfect spot for him. Jerry's 64-year-old partner, Marie Bailey, had multiple sclerosis. He was in effect her carer. On the 18th of April 2019, 64-year-old Marie was tired and she went to bed about 9pm, leaving her husband downstairs watching TV. This was a pretty normal evening, she'd often go to bed earlier and Jerry would stay up watching TV or on the computer. Sometime shortly after midnight, the sky signal to the dish was interrupted, so Jerry headed outside to adjust the dish to try and sort it out. The outside lights hadn't been working for well over a year, so in the darkness, Jerry fiddled with the dish. It was positioned in quite a low place on the house, so he bent over the sky dish with his other hand resting on the wall of the house. It was then that he felt a terrible pain in his body, and he thought he must have been electrocuted by the dish, and he stumbled back into his home shouting for Marie to help him. He somehow managed to get up the stairs, but when Marie saw him, he was in a real state, and he told her he must have been electrocuted and was having a heart attack. Marie could see that he was bleeding heavily from his arm, and Jerry was clearly terrified about what was happening to him. Marie rang the emergency services as Jerry shouted in pain, telling Marie that he feared he was soon going to bleed to death and he needed an ambulance as soon as possible. When the first paramedic arrived at the scene, he found that the garden gate was open and a crossbow bolt covered in blood was lying on the grass just by the garden. And it was clear to the medical professionals that Jerry hadn't been electrocuted, but he'd been shot using the crossbow left at the scene. Jerry'd been shot by a silent assassin as he'd come outside to fix his sky dish. It was discovered that the crossbow bolt entered his left-hand side, passing completely through the body, cutting his spleen, and from there had penetrated his large intestine and stomach. The devastating injuries included damage to his gastric artery. The bolt had penetrated his liver, his colon and his diaphragm, and bruised his heart before exiting his body, more or less right through the right side of his chest. Jerry received initial emergency surgery at a hospital in nearby Bangor and was placed into an induced coma. He was later transferred by a Wales Air Ambulance to the specialist trauma unit at the Royal Stoke University Hospital. Jerry remained critically ill in the intensive care unit of Stoke, and by the end of the month he developed severe sepsis and his kidneys were failing. Further surgery was carried out in a desperate attempt to save his life. But tragically, Jerry wasn't able to recover from these terrible injuries and he died in hospital on May the 11th as a result of major organ failure caused by the injury. Gerald Corrigan was 74 when he died. At his funeral, his partner Marie said, It's impossible to express my deep sadness and shock at the horrific murder of Jerry, He was my best friend and my soulmate. All the time we've been together, I've been proud to walk at his side and he stood beside me always. I would treasure his memory for all the days of my life, although I would have preferred to treasure him, not just his memory. Jerry's son, Neil, said, My dad was a wonderful man who cared so much for people. He believed in the good in people and in life and the importance of family, friendship and love. He taught me that we can change, that to forgive brings freedom, and that we should believe in the best in people as no one is perfect. He was a kind and a funny man. Meanwhile, over 50 detectives were trying to work out just who would have wanted to kill Jerry. They carried out numerous public appeals, along with door-to-door inquiries in the local neighbourhood and at local caravan and holiday parks. There was no reason for anyone to be randomly near the house, the isolated house, in the early hours of the morning. So they believed that Jerry must have been targeted But by whom, and why? Within days of the murder taking place, the director of Outdoor Hobbies, the largest UK supplier of crossbows, contacted North Wales Police, seeing if they could help with the investigation. They revealed that over the last 10 years, 17 people had bought a crossbow from them, but only two people had bought a crossbow since 2015. And the most recent person to buy a crossbow was 39-year-old personal trainer and martial arts expert Terry Wall. Not from Wales, he was originally from the East End of London, and after his marriage collapsed in 2009, he moved to Anglesey and remarried. But six years later, that relationship was over too. Like me, he was a fitness fanatic and in great shape, and he worked for gyms locally before starting his own business as a sports therapist, Tai Chi instructor and personal trainer. In 2018, he met his partner, Emma, and he and his son moved in with her and her children, although shortly after that, his son moved back to his mum's house in Essex. When detectives visited him, they found that he didn't take delivery of the crossbow that he'd ordered until after Jerry was shot. But Terry did reveal that he'd owned another crossbow, but said he sold it months earlier to a stranger who saw him outside his property with it, for £180. The person who had bought this crossbow could never be found, but detectives did discover in early April 2019, after Terry had told them that he'd sold the first crossbow and before he ordered the new one, they'd ordered bolts which were the same as the one used to kill Jerry, along with broadhead tips which also matched the one used in the killing. This immediately raised suspicions, but a search for his house revealed no trace of the crossbow that he'd said he'd sold, or any other bolts. They did find a punch bag in his house with a number of puncher holes, made by the same bolts used to kill Jerry. But Terry insisted he would nothing to do with the murder, and was at his home about 10 miles away from Jerry's, on the night that Jerry was killed, when he had an early night. Although they couldn't be sure that Terry Wall was their man, he was certainly under suspicion. And two weeks after he was interviewed, Terry's partner's Land Rover was discovered burnt out nearby. Detectives felt this was way too much of a coincidence and began to investigate. They found that his partner had been away on the night of Jerry's murder, so he would have been able to use her car. And the Land Rover, like many modern high-spec cars was fitted with a telematic system, which effectively tracks the car's movements, which is something that you should bear in mind if you're doing things that you shouldn't be post-lockdown. The data retrieved was startling. It showed that the car had been parked at Porth Defarge Beach, just a short walk away from Jerry's house, at 11.10pm on the 19th of April. The boot was opened at 11.11 and closed 40 seconds later. Surely this had to be Terry getting the crossbow out. As I said at the very beginning of the episode, the sky recording that Jerry was watching stopped at 28 minutes past midnight. This must have been the work of Terry, who had moved the satellite to disrupt the signal. After doing so, he hid behind the garden wall, waiting for Jerry to come outside to fix the satellite. When he did so, Terry calmly shot the man. He didn't even know. Twelve minutes after this, the boot of the Land Rover was opened again and closed 14 seconds later, presumably this time with the crossbow inside. CCTV cameras showed Terry's car then making the journey back home, arriving at his house at 3 minutes to 1am. The boot was opened and remained open for around 5 minutes, which detectives thought would likely be when Terry was removing the crossbow and putting it somewhere else. When faced with this pretty devastating evidence, Terry told them a different story. He claimed he lied as he wanted to cover up his affair from his partner. He told how he was in fact having sex on a field near the beach, close to Jerry's house, with a man known as Bazza. This man, Barry Williams, was a client of Terry's from their personal training, and he told detectives how they'd spent a lot of time together after he first came to him for exercises to help with his bad back. On the night in question, Terry Wall explained the boot opening, saying that he'd opened the car boot to remove a bag containing latex gloves, handcuffs and baby oil. But there was a problem with this alibi. Baza was having none of it, and he said it was all a load of old nonsense. He explained that they were both keen martial arts fans and they met to train once a week. They went walking and biking, as well as meeting for drinks and meals. But he told how their contact had got much less recently as Baz had started seeing his partner. He denied that he'd seen Terry Wall on the night of the murder at all. And after all, why would he? He was very happy with his girlfriend, and he said he'd never had a sexual relationship with Wall. Terry Wall was charged with murder. But just why would Wall kill Jerry? As we hear so often on this podcast, detectives believe that Jerry was killed for financial reasons by Terry Wall, a man that he'd never even met. Wall denied the murder. In fact, he denied ever having met Jerry and said he had no reason to have killed him. Detectives felt this could well be the case, but the connection all centred around a local man, a horse dealer known as Richard Wynne Lewis. Jerry's partner Marie had stayed with the mysterious Richard Wynne Lewis the day after Jerry was shot and she told detectives about the connection between the couple and Richard Wynne Lewis. It seemed that the couple had been defrauded by Lewis, although he denied this. According to Marie, Lewis had been a trusted friend and Jerry had given him permission to grow cannabis in their outbuildings but Marie told police how Lewis had taken it way too far and rather than just grow a little to aid her multiple sclerosis, he had grown large amounts, presumably to sell commercially. This had led to a falling out between Lewis and Jerry. The couple had also given Lewis money to buy, somewhat bizarrely, a horse, but this horse never materialized. They'd also invested in another of Lewis's plans to buy land, which was seen as an investment with a guaranteed return. But of course, the return never came. In total, it seemed that the couple had been defrauded out of a hefty sum, somewhere approaching £250,000. But as I said earlier, Richard Wynne Lewis denied this. Marie went on to tell detectives that she hadn't felt safe with Lewis after Jerry was killed. And in fact, he'd asked her to keep quiet about another fraud in which he was involved with friends of Terry Wall. It seemed that one of his friends was owed money by Lewis. Then Wall, along with a friend, were arrested at Lewis's home on May 31st after an incident, although quite what happened that evening is unclear. What is clear is that both Wall and his friend Gavin Jones wanted money from Richard Lewis. Further investigation showed that Wall had travelled to Lewis's home several times in the week leading up to may the thirty first sometimes in the dead of night and sitting outside his home. It would also found that Wall had placed a tracker on a car used by Lewis, as you've heard already, it's a complex case. many aspects of the story just don't seem to quite add up. But by now, detectives had reached a conclusion that Terry Wall had murdered Jerry Corrigan, and it had been a planned premeditated execution from a cold-blooded killer. As they approached a trial, detectives were fully aware that if it wasn't for the electronics, the black box in the Land Rover, which didn't just record information, but sent it back to Jaguar Land Rover, Wall would have got away with it. But this information, along with the burning of the Land Rover, and the information around Wall and crossbows, gave detectives a case that they hoped would see him convicted by a jury. At the trial at Mold Crown Court, Wall denied murder. The QC defending him said there was no evidence linking Wall to Richard Wynne Lewis, who he described as a fraudster before the shooting, but said that Lewis owed one of Wall's friends for some work he had done. He said, Mr Wall had no connection to Mr Corrigan. He had, we say, absolutely no reason to do this. The prosecuting QC summed up his case by saying that the motives for Mr. Corrigan's murder may never be uncovered. Why he was shot, we may never know, the prosecutor said. It is never incumbent on the prosecution to prove why a crime has been committed, just that it has been, and who is responsible for it. The jury found Terry Wall guilty of murder and he was sentenced to 31 years in prison. The judge said, You have deprived Mr Corrigan's family of any explanation for what was a horrific death in which Mr Corrigan was completely blameless. For your own reasons, you clearly had a plan to kill. Your arrogant belief that you could get away with murder was misplaced. The reason for the attack remains a mystery and the judge said it was speculation to say that Wall was paid to carry out the murder or that it happened because Corrigan was about to report a fraud to police. Co-defendant Gavin Jones was convicted of conspiracy to pervert the course of justice and was jailed for five years. He was guilty of setting fire to the Land Rover to try to cover up the crime and his brother Darren Jones was sentenced to two years and ten months for arson and a friend, Martin Roberts, was jailed for two years and four months for arson. The men admitted setting fire to the Land Rover but told the jury... That they believed it was part of an insurance scam for which Terry Wall got 30,000 pound payout in court Jerry's partner Marie appealed to Wall to explain why he shot Jerry saying i would like the person who murdered Jerry to think about what he has done the consequences of his actions and the effects he has caused to me and all of Jerry's loved ones Jerry's daughter Fiona said i just had a nice average life before all of this now i suffer from nightmares paranoia And such severe panic attacks, I scream, and I've recently begun to self-harm by using anything sharp to scratch my arm's and neck. The worst thing of all is knowing I won't ever get to hug my dad again. And his son Neil said, It was so difficult to comprehend how this could happen to anyone, let alone my father, who was just a pensioner on a small safe island in the middle of nowhere. How can someone choose to use such a barbaric weapon on an old man? Did they really want to cause him such a slow and painful death? So what do you make of what we've heard today? The judge made it very clear that it was just speculation that Terry Wall had killed Jerry for money, or that Jerry was killed as he was about to reveal a fraud. So, like me, are you wondering about the role of Richard Wynne Lewis? a man who apparently defrauded Jerry Corrigan and yet Jerry's partner Marie went there after the shooting, later leaving as according to her she didn't feel safe. In court, although Lewis was mentioned frequently, he was not called to give evidence for the prosecution or the defence. In the trial, the jury was told that Wall and Lewis had argued over money six weeks after the shooting and Wall had tracked his car, gone to his home and been involved in some form of altercation there towards the end of May 2019. And it was suggested that Wall was potentially minded to try to cause Lewis some serious harm. Lewis was originally arrested on suspicion of conspiracy to murder and fraud, but was later released. And when BBC Wales spoke to him, he had told them how he had been friends with Gerald Corrigan for years, and news of the shooting had come as a complete shock to him he denies having any part whatsoever in the murder. Wall maintained his innocence in court, so it was never explained why he chose such a strange weapon, although it seems he did also research other methods of killing. The court was told that a garrote was found in his car, while his internet history showed he'd recently bought piano wire and googled central nervous system neck injury. But I can't get away from Richard Wynne Lewis. And The Sun summarises an interview that he gave to the Times newspaper after the court case. It's only short, but let me quote it in full here to see what you think. Lewis claimed that Joey was killed because of his association with him and a dispute with an unarmed drugs lord, maintaining that he was set to be Wall's next victim. Wall came here to my house and said, my job is to kill people, and I'm going to kill you if you don't correspond with us. He wanted to take me away, but I said I'm not going anywhere, not a chance, he claimed. Lewis said that he called the police who arrested Wall, and that only after that did he realise that Gerald had been murdered. That's when I realised what had happened to Gerald, he said. Before that, I thought it had been a terrible accident with kids on one of the nearby caravan parks. I now know that we were both to be killed. They stalked this place for the same amount of time as they did Gerald. I wonder, so just why was Gerald Corrigan killed? It seems that money played a part in it and all connections seem to be linked by the mysterious Lewis. But will we ever get a detailed understanding of why it happened? Will the family ever get the answers they deserve? I don't think so. Do you? Thank you so much for listening to this delayed episode of the UK True Crime Podcast to discuss this story or any other aspects of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group. There's almost 65,000 of us. Don't forget to pre-order your copy of the New Millennium Serial Killer. Just go to crimepublishingnetwork.com. And to support the show, please join me on Patreon at patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. Loads of bonus episodes, videos, and of course on Monday, you can watch me record next week's episode live. What more could you possibly want? So on that super, super, super exciting bombshell, it's time for me to leave you again. I know, I know, but I've got to go, I'm afraid. So thank you so much again for listening to the UK's official 37th most popular UK true crime podcast. We still strive for the elusive 36th position. So until we speak again next week, Please do take it easy, and despite all the others, (laughs) I know, I know, please stay classy. Cheerio for now.
0: As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's
1: just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from
0: McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba da ba ba ba. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.